Amen. Thank you. Thank you. In your Bibles tonight, 2 Samuel chapter 21, we'll read the first 14 verses together. Tonight's message is titled, This Sin Must Be Paid For. We open our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter number 21. We're at a place in God's Word where uh, it's actually going to be like kind of looking back into a, a scene. And we got David's, uh, we're in the middle of David's life, David's rule and reign as king. Saul and Jonathan now have been dead for some time. And uh, <clears throat> Saul has done something back in the day. Uh, I don't know exactly how many years ago, but some time ago now, Saul did something and he led the nation of Israel to uh, defy uh, Israel's league, their promise, with a group of people called the Gibeonites. And uh, it's going to come up. And sin, the sin of Saul that happened a number of years ago is going to have to be dealt with because God requires that sin is covered, that sin is dealt with. God doesn't let sin slide. And uh, how many of you ever let some things slide? As a matter of fact, there's a passage of Scripture that the Bible says that a wise person will, will overlook some things. But God never overlooks sin. God never overlooks sin, and sin must be paid for. I want to read this story to you. The Bible says in... 2 Samuel chapter 21, beginning in verse 1, the Bible says this, Then there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year. <clears throat> and David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house, Neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What ye shall say, that will I do for you. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from the remaining in any of the coasts of Israel. Let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us. And we will hang them up unto the Lord in Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni, and Mephibosheth, and the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up from Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholathite. And he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites. And they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest. In the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock. From the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon 
them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beasts of the field by night. And it was told David what Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. And David went and took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, which had stolen them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hanged them, when the Philistines had slain Saul in Gilboa. And he brought up from thence the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, and they gathered the bones of them that were hanged. And the bones of Saul and Jonathan his son buried they in the country of Benjamin in Zelah, in the sepulcher of Kish his father. And they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God was entreated for the land. When we begin the story, there's three years of famine has fallen on the nation of Israel, on the land of Israel. And at the beginning of the third year, or at the third year, David begins to wonder if it's something spiritual. He asks the Lord, Lord, what in the world is it? Why is it that you've caused us to have these famine for these years? And God speaks from heaven to David and lets David know the reason that we're having this famine is because of the blood, bloody hands of King Saul. King Saul's been dead for some time now. But King Saul was guilty of breaking the promise that God's people had made to a group of people, the Gibeonites. Now, this is a fascinating little side note and important part of this story. The Gibeonites was a group of people that weren't terribly far away from the nation of Israel when Joshua was leading conquest into the promised land. The Gibeonites had heard and seen all that God's people were doing in conquering the promised land. The Gibeonites... In Joshua chapter number 9, they put on a front and trick the elders, the leaders of the nation of Israel into making a league, making a treaty with them. I don't know if you remember the story, but we've covered it at some point in time in our preaching. In Joshua chapter number 9, I'll just tell you the story instead of turning there. In Joshua chapter number 9, the Gibeonites are so amazed at the power of God blessing the nation of Israel that they come up with a plan to make a league with the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel at this moment is conquering and conquering and conquering and conquering and conquering the enemies of God in the promised land. The Gibeonites say, we've got to do something because if we don't, we'll be the next people to be conquered. So the Gibeonites, they're not far away from where the nation of Israel is at the moment and they put on old clothes they find worn out shoes. They put dirt all over themselves. They go in the cupboard and find moldy bread. And they get worn out bottles with their wine and water. And they saddle up their horses, the ones that look the worst. And they make the short journey to where Joshua and the leaders and elders of Israel are. And they tell the nation of Israel, including Joshua, a big, fat lie. They tell the nation of Israel, they tell Joshua, they say, look, we've come from a far journey. We've heard about the mighty works of your God. And we'd be honored if you would promise us not to hurt our people. We'd be honored to be your servants. So the, the Bible says that the elders of Israel did not ask God they didn't seek God for wisdom in regards to this. And the elders of Israel said, you know what? Go for it. That's okay. 
Well, it's not long till they find out that this was a big trick. What do we do? The elders, what do we do? This has been a big, nasty trick. And Joshua speaks up, and the elders of Israel speak up, and they said, we've made a terrible mistake, but we promised them in the name of God that we would be their allies, and we're going to keep that promise. So many years transpire from the promise in Joshua chapter 9 to the days when Saul was leading the nation of Israel, and Israel had a king. And at some point during the history of the nation of Israel, and actually this is not recorded as far as I can tell, I can't find it in the Bible, where Saul murders the Gibeonites. But at some point in time during Saul's reign, Saul, out of a zealous spirit, wages war on the Gibeonites and murders a bunch of Gibeonites as far as we can tell. And because Saul broke the promise of God's people that was made in God's name, God is holding the nation of Israel responsible. We come, the story continues. The Gibeon, he goes, Dave, God has told David, David, look, the reason why that you're having famine is because the Gibeonites were mistreated and harmed by Saul and Saul led the nation of Israel to break my covenant with, or my treaties, my covenant, my promise with the Gibeonites. So David goes to the Gibeonites. What do, I, what do you require? What do you want? What can I do to make this right? It's an interesting story. At first, when I read it and study it, I'm like, I don't know why you would ask a pagan nation for their requirement. But the Gibeonites speak and come up with an answer that actually, as sad as the story is, is the kind of requirement that God requires. God requires that sin must be paid for. The Gibeonites said, we will not take Saul's gold. We will not take Saul's silver. We will not receive any of the riches and treasures of the nation of Israel. And we will not accept the blood of any man from the nation of Israel. But what we require is seven sons of Saul. The Bible says that David tells the Gibeonites, I will give them. Two sons of Rizba, five sons of Michael, and all at once, all seven, the Gibeonites hang them. They die and their bodies are put out in public, not buried, but put out in public. And the saddest part of the story is we watch the mother of two of those boys, Rizba. The Bible says she gets sackcloth and spreads it on a rock, makes herself a pilot, a place to sit. In the midst of the bodies of those seven boys, seven men most likely. And for as far as I can tell, about five months, she sits with the bodies of those boys as they decay. She won't let the birds eat them by day. She won't let the beast have them by night. And the story concludes, David knows what she's doing. And David brings the bones of Saul, the bones of Jonathan, and gathers the bones of those seven men and buries them. In the last part of verse 14 the Bible says this, and after that, God was entreated 
for the land. I'll just tell you, this fact about our God is something that our culture does not like. Our culture does not like the fact that God is righteous. Our culture does not like the fact that God requires a sacrifice for the sins of the world. Our culture does not like the bloody fact that without the shedding of blood, there's no remissions of sins. But we cannot dictate our doctrine because of the culture of society. And if God requires a blood sacrifice, and he does, we must understand, we must submit, and we must acknowledge that that's God's way, God's will, God's plan. And I'll have you know something. No person has ever gone to heaven without the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ covering their sin count. Sin must be paid for. And in this story, as sad as it is, we're reminded once again that sin must be paid for. Sin must be paid for. Six, hopefully, short points, but the only way we can divide this up is, as far as I can is in these six ways. Number one, let's consider, number one, Saul's bloody house. Look at verse number one. The Bible says in verse number one, then there was a famine in the days of David, three years. Year after year, and the Lord answered, I'm sorry, there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, It is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. We begin here with a famine. I think it's kind of interesting that two years goes by without David inquiring. Now, we can look at this a couple different ways. One way is you probably, when you start to have trouble, you probably need to look at the spiritual side and see if perchance that God is trying to tell you something. The other thing that I see about David, and I want to commend him for, he didn't think that every situation, every trouble that came down the pike was something that was spiritual and needed to be over-spiritualized. Now, where do we find the balance? I'll just tell you. We should always be seeking the Lord. We should always yearn our hearts to keep short accounts with our sins. And David, after two years of famine, says, you know what? I better entreat the Lord and see if there's something that our nation needs to do, something that needs to be dealt with, some situation that needs to be repented of. And I'll just tell you, in the life of all of God's people, it's important that we learn to pray. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Oh, it's important that we keep our sin account short. It's important that we seek the Lord and petition the Lord to show us the error of our way. And when God highlights sin in our lives, we should forsake it. Sin. David sought the Lord. God said, look, the reason that this famine is going on is because of the bloody house of Saul, because he slew the Gibeonites. Saul's bloody house. This is fascinating to me to think about it. Saul's been dead for some time. Did not the penalty of sin and the sin of Saul fall and go away when he died? No. Not in this time, not in this Old Testament moment. The nation of Israel was guilty of the sin, and God was going to hold God's people accountable for their sin until their sin 
was righteously covered with a sacrifice. Saul's bloody house. Number two, Saul's failure to keep Israel's promise. The Bible says in verse 2, And the king called the Gibeonites and said unto them, and then right after that, we got this long parenthesis because God is going to describe to us who the Gibeonites is. I've already told you quite a bit about the Gibeonites, but look at this parenthesis. The Bible says, now the Gibeonites were not of the children of Israel, but of the remnant of the Amorites. And the children of Israel had sworn unto them, and Saul sought to slay them in his zeal to the children of Israel and Judah. So the Bible tells us this story. Here's what happened. Uh, God had made a league with the Gibeonites through Joshua, Joshua chapter 9. You should read Joshua chapter 9, verses 3 through 20. You'll be glad you did. It's a fascinating story. The nation of Israel made a league with the Gibeonites. And Saul, in Saul's way, as he did so often, Saul did whatever Saul wanted to do, contrary to God and God's word. And the consequences of rebelling against God is never good. Saul failed to keep Israel's promise. The Gibeonites had been slain and murdered and abused by Saul. And God was going to make sure that God's people kept the promise that was made in his name. Number three, the Gibeonites' requirement. Look at the Bible says in verse 3. Wherefore David said unto the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? He says, what do I need to do? What do you require of me? The Gibeonites speak in verse 4. The Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul. Now, it's kind of fascinating, but the Gibeonites are not of the nation of Israel. They're not God's people. They're Gentile people. But it's almost like you can read God speaking through the Gibeonites this moment. The Gibeonites say, I want you to know something. It's not money we're after. Do you know that gold and silver and sacrifices of personal things is never something that satisfies the righteous demands of God? You can give and tithe and give and tithe and give and tithe, and I think you should. But giving to good causes is not what gives us forgiveness of sin. Sin must be paid for. They said, it's not gold or silver that we want. We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house. Neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. He said, it's not some other vengeance that we want from some other person. He said, the guilty party is going to have to pay the debt. They speak up, here's what we want. Verse number 4, the Ebionite said, we will have no silver nor gold, nor of his house, neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What shall what ye shall say, that will I do. David speaks, verse number five. And they answered the king, the man that consumed us, and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coasts of Israel. Let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up. Under the Lord. It's a fascinating thing. The Bible says cursed is any man that hangs on a tree. We will hang them up under the Lord in Gibeah of Saul. Whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. What do the Gibeonites say? Here's what we're taking. Here's what we want. There's one thing that we'll, re we'll re accept. There's one thing that will meet the standard. There's one thing that will pay the debt. There's one thing that will satisfy our demands. 
It's not money. It's not any just any person, but it's the seven sons. Seven sons of King Saul. Someone that owed the debt must pay the debt. So David says, I will give them. Verse number 8, the Bible says, But the king took the two sons of Rizbah, the daughter of Aiah, whom she bare unto Saul, Armoni, and Mephibosheth. Now, I want you to know something. There's two Mephibosheth. Now, this is quite fascinating. You know you've got a problem if you've got so many children that you name two of your sons the same name. That's the mess Saul was in. There's one Mephibosheth and there's two Mephibosheth. And this is Mephibosheth number two. Armoni and Mephibosheth. Rizba's sons were taken. And the five sons of Michael, the daughter of Saul, whom she brought up for Adriel, the son of Barzillai, the Maholothite. The Bible says, verse 9, he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them in the hill before the Lord. And they fell all seven together and were put to death in the days of harvest, in the first days, in the beginning of barley harvest. And there we have it, the Gibeonites' requirement. What do they want? Seven sons. The men are hanged. Their bodies are laid out. The debt is paid. There's a fascinating side note that I want you to see in verse number 7 about Mephibosheth number 1. This is one of the sweetest moments in the story. It is the sweetest moment in the story. In verse number 7, the Bible says, But the king spared Mephibosheth. Now this is lame Mephibosheth. You remember Mephibosheth. But the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. Why? Why did David spare him? Because of the Lord's oath that was between them, between David and Jonathan, the son of Saul. This is a beautiful thing. Mephibosheth was a member of Saul's family. Mephibosheth was cursed because of the sins of his father. Mephibosheth was one of the men that could have been hung to pay the debt that Saul had made in breaking God's oath and breaking God's law. But because of God's oath to Mephibosheth through David the king, a man that many times over pictures the Lord Jesus Christ, Mephibosheth was spared. Mephibosheth had sin had already been paid for. Mephibosheth had already been spoken for. Mephibosheth was promised, promised not to have to suffer the penalty of his death, penalty of his sin. Or the sin of his father. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth was spared because of the king's promise. Mephibosheth is a picture of any of us, any of you or I, any of us that are washed in the blood of the Lamb, forgiven of our sins because of the work of Jesus on the cross of Calvary. Folks, I want you to know my father, Adam, made me a sinner. And then my actions made me a sinner. And my sin condemned me. My sin must be paid for. But let me tell you something. Because I repented of my sin and put my trust in Jesus. And Jesus, his blood that was shed on the cross. And the fact that he conquered death, hell, and the grave. The blood of Christ Jesus has covered my sins. And because of that, when my other brothers, the sons of Adam, their sin is paid for. In their own blood. 
Mine is paid for with the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I don't have to pay the price for my sins because Jesus Christ paid it for me. I'm just like Mephibosheth, and I'm glad. Mephibosheth was spared because of the king's promise. Number five, hell's sad reality. Hell's sad reality. I want you to watch the story as it unfolds. It's so sad. Two verses, verse number 10 in Rizba. Can you imagine the grief that Rizba's gone through? Rizba, the daughter of Aiah, took sackcloth and spread it for her upon the rock. From the beginning of harvest until water dropped upon them out of heaven and suffered neither the birds of the air to rest on them by day nor the beast of the field by night. And it was told David what Rizba, the daughter of Aiah, the concubine of Saul, had done. Why in the world is she out there? It has to be some speculation. But I'll have you know something. The penalty that was paid for the sins of Saul by these seven boys was also a penalty that they invoked on themselves. Cursed is any man that hangs on the tree. The sad fact and reality is that not all people go to heaven. If you reject the Savior, if you're not washed in the blood of the Lamb, heaven is not your home. And when we die, we don't go to heaven if we don't know Jesus by faith as Savior. And hell is a real reality. And I can't help but wonder if Rizba day by day shooed the birds away and the beasts away at night and sat among the rotting carcasses of those seven boys. If it wasn't just because she knew that when they were gone, she'd never see them again. Hell is a sad reality. Sin must be paid for. And you can pay for it with hell forever. Or you can accept the free gift of salvation that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the gospel message. The Lord Jesus shows up in this passage of scripture. Hell's sad reality that when your loved one or you die without Christ, you'll never be seen again. You'll never see them again. Hell's sad reality. Day by day, with a broken heart, Rizba shoot off the birds and the wild beasts until finally their bones were gathered together. They're buried in a grave with Jonathan and Saul. Oh, what a sad story. The Bible says this in verse 14. After that, God was entreated for the land. After that, God was entreated for the land. Sweet news is, you and I don't have to suffer the penalty of sin. Because our sin has been paid for. If you put your trust in Jesus, you're here today, you don't know for sure if you're to die, to, you'd spend eternity in heaven. The fact is, God loves you. Your sin condemns you to hell. But Jesus Christ paid the price for your sins. He proved his love when the sinless Son of God died on the cross so that you could have everlasting life. How can I have it? The Bible says, with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. Do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe that you are a sinner? Do you believe that your sin carries with it a penalty of death and hell? Do you feel the guilt of sin right now? Your sin must be paid for. The Bible says, with the heart, man believes unto righteousness.
And with the mouth, confession is made in salvation. How can I be saved? Do you believe? I do. I'm a sinner. Jesus is the only Savior. Then with your mouth, call out to the Lord. I ask Him to forgive you. Profess your faith in Him. Trust Him to be your Savior. Only Jesus can save your soul. With the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made to salvation. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, it's a sad day in my heart when I watch those seven boys all at the same time hang for the sins of Saul. It's a sad day when I watch that mother shooing off the birds and the beasts, knowing that their destination was sealed. Eternal condemnation. The saddest moment in all of history was the moment when Jesus Christ had done no wrong. Jesus Christ, who'd never sinned. Jesus Christ took on him the sin of the whole world. Was suspended between heaven and earth and died in our place. It's a sad story. The victorious ending because he paid our sin debt. We don't have to. We don't have to. Sin must be paid for. Let me tell you something. If God required Saul's sin to be paid for years after it happened by his seven sons, I'll guarantee you this. You and I will not escape the penalty of our sin. We'll not escape paying our sin debt. There's no way to escape it. Maybe, just maybe, if I'm good enough, God will forget that I'm a sinner. No! Nobody thought. Most people didn't even know that Saul had massacred a group of Gibeonites, but God did, and God held them accountable. The things you know that you've done, the things that God knows that you've done, your sin will be held to your account. There's only one hope. Put your trust in Christ Jesus. Have your sins washed in the blood of the Lamb. Your sin must be paid for. The glorious news is it has been. It has been. Jesus died for your sins. Put your trust in him. Believe him. Rest in the fact that he's your eternal Savior. Oh, he's faithful. God is faithful. You know what's sweet? When I put my trust in Jesus by faith as my Savior, God was pleased. The sacrifice was accepted. And my eternal home is secure. Your sin must be paid for. Jesus paid for it. Receive him by faith as Savior. You'll be glad you did. May God help us. Let's pray.